Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. The title of this teaching is called Konji. Konji, Handling Sexual Temptation. All right, and many people think this is not exactly for me. Um, to you, I would say, yes, it's for you. It's a teaching that covers, you know, singles and, and those who are dating, those who are engaged, those who are married. It's for every single person, right? Everyone needs this teaching. And, and, and the one thing I hear about Konji, uh, and if you don't know what it is, I'm sure you would get to know it in full. But many people say, Konji is wicked. Konji is ruthless. Ah! And yes, it can be. But where I want to start this teaching as we land is to say that Konji is also divine. It's also divine. Konji is a gift from God to humanity. And there's so much to unpack. And I want to just ask you for permission right away. It, I, I may extend the usual teaching time. I will try not to. But there's just so much to unpack and so little time. So I want you to pay attention. Promise me you'll pay attention to everything I've said. The scriptures I tell you to check on your, at your personal time, please check them by yourself for full understanding, okay? All right, so I want you to go with me. It is divine. Konji is divine. God gave this gift of konji. I, I know you won't see it in the scriptures, but he gave us this gift of konji so that we can enjoy and honor him with it. it konji simply means sexual desire. Sexual desire, you know? But the, the issue with konji, and, and this is where it all boils down to, it's, it's, the, the issue comes to when you want to find the right outlet for the expression of konji. That's the problem. How do you express the desire that God has put within you as a sexual being? You are a sp spiritual being. You are a physical being, an emotional, an intellectual being. But you're also a sexual being. God gave you that for you to enjoy and also be fruitful. And before I continue, I would just put this as a disclaimer, because I don't know who's going to be listening to this. I don't know what our audience is going to be like. There are probably some of you who, and I'll use this term loosely, who may feel asexual. Uh, that's starting with an A, asexual. And, and for some of you who know the LGBTQIAP community, it, it, it's, um, it's kind of the spectrum where people do not actually feel sexual desires. Right? And you might be listening to it and say, this is not really for me. And some of you might, might start to think that this might be you that I'm talking about, where you probably haven't felt any sort of desire. You don't, you're not attracted to anyone. You're in your academics full-time. You're in your career full-time. And, and to that, I, I would just say this. Like before you settle and say, I'm asexual, remember that anything that goes against what God had originally designed should not be the norm. So what I would say in terms of this is con confirm three things. Confirm that this is not a biological issue. And I'll explain. For some people, what they realize is they, they claimed, oh, I'm, a sex I'm a se asexual. I don't have any sexual desires at all. I don't have time for that, for relationships, for bonding. None of that. I don't care. I couldn't care less. And what they found out is when they did some medical checkups, they found out that their hormonal levels, their testosterone or their estrogen, was depleted. 
And what they had to do was take some hormone, uh, hormonal medicine and medication to bring that up, and they were fine. The second thing I would say is maybe there's just an issue of attract, attraction incompatibility. And what that means is maybe you've just not found the right person that you're attracted to. And, and some of you can relate. That was me for a period of time, and I thought God was calling me to the order of Apostle Paul. This is my 100 level uh, first year in the university, and it, it lasted for a very long time. I was just not attracted to anybody. And I, maybe that was because I was so consumed with the Lord, just finding him and, and being immersed in his word and growing. Maybe that was the case. But I would say, check. Maybe you just not found the right person. Be patient about it. The third thing I'll say is check that it's a spirit. Maybe it could be a spiritual grace of celibacy. And clearly, I've given you the example. Someone like Apostle Paul clearly had the grace. And, and I like to say this often, but people think I'm joking. See, if God has called you to do that, you know, and he's giving you the grace for it, I want you to rock it hard. I want you to be to enjoy and be proud of your singlehood. Honestly, I think we don't talk about it nearly enough. We emphasize in a month like last month, we emphasize being relationship, succeeding relationship, and maybe that's the majority of people, but there are still people that have a call on their life to be separate from the sexual entanglements, in quotes, to pursue the Lord and his purpose forever. So maybe it's a celibacy purpose uh, situation right but that's what i would say to people who feel this way maybe that's you all right maybe it's just one or two people that needed that all right now let's talk about congee being a gift right like i said sexual desire and intercourse right is a gift from god it's a gift from god that's the first thing i would say the second thing i would say is that sex is like fire or sexual desire is like fire and sexual desire is only good, and, and I'll use the example of fire. Fire is only good when it's used in the right context. You've, you know, growing up, you probably used a stove or a gas cooker, and you've seen the wonders of fire when you are hungry and your belly is rumbling. You know what fire can do. When you're in a dark place and you put fire on the right element, on a candle or a lantern, you see what happens. It brightens things up, right? But when fire... You leave the house and it's on the gas cooker, but the fire was not contained and starts to spread to, to the curtains and other things like that. What happens? It starts to be destructive when it's not in the right confines. And that's kind of what any kind of desire looks like. Within the right confines, it is good, it is beautiful, it is helpful. But the same fire that can cook a meal can destroy a forest. Do you understand? So the point about this is not congee is a bad thing. Congee is wicked. Congee is not my portion. <laughs> I promise you, you don't want to pray that. I will, I will share you a very funny example and, and, and uh, actual situation that happened with that. But that's what I would say. So I want us to abolish the mentality that sex is of the devil or sex is dirty or sex is unclean. No, that's not the point. Sex in the right confines as, at, you know, for which it was designed it's helpful, it is beneficial, and it's good for you. The devil did not invent, invent sex. He cannot. He cannot. He's not able to invent something as beautifully designed as sexual intercourse. He's not. You know, what he does best is not creation. What he does best is perversion. Perversion. 
And what he does is he perverts the outlets for which this beautiful gift God has given us. You know, he perverts them. And we, we seek false outlets, perverted outlets to express this uh, sexual desire. And I'll come to that very quickly. We're going to talk about that, right? He uses the power and, the, and, 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 and he takes advantage of the power of sin and, and thwarts all that God has designed and made good. So let's go into this. The issue now is not kanji. It's something I'll call sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. And I'm going to show you how each one, you know, each form of sexual immorality, how that goes against God's original plan. This is just a good foundation for you to understand. I'm saying this so that even when you start to raise your own kids and parent, you give them the right idea. You don't allow the media, you don't allow school, you don't allow anyone feed them the wrong information except what the Word of God says, right? When it comes to sexual immorality and sin in itself, foundationally, sin is progressive and innovative. That's what I've learned. And so some people read things like this and they're like, well, the Bible is not exactly relevant for now because this is the ancient times, olden days, thousands of years ago. How can it be relevant now when we have mobile phones, we have the internet? It, it cannot it just cannot be relevant anymore. But guess what? Sin is innovative. Sin would latch on to technological advancements and still pervert this idea of sex. And we see it today. But here's the thing. Sexual immorality is actually coined from a Greek, from a Greek word. It's from a Greek word called porneia. P-O-R-N-E-I-A. Porneia. It's a Greek word that I think you already get the gist of what this word can do or what it implies. But it literally means to prostitute or to sell. That's literally what it is, to sell something valuable, to prostitute. Uh, that's what the word pornea actually means. But when you see it, 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 it includes a wide range of illicit sexual activity and intercourse. So it's an all-inclusive package. And you see it in different places, especially in the New Testament. It's used about 25 times in 24 verses in the New Testament. And you see it used in different contexts to express different variations of sexual activity. So when we say sexual immorality, don't just think one thing. Think the whole bunch. Think the inclusive bunch of the wrong outlets to express sexual de desire. And... The re and when you read the New Testament, I was reading the, the New Testament, a couple of scriptures, and I realized that this word is used in so many places. And when you, you, you use the hermeneutical law, the law of emphatic mention, what does that tell you? Some of you remember this. The law of emphatic mention means where something, a concept, is used or mentioned severally, repeatedly in several places, you should pay attention to it. Even when you look at the, the different teachings we've done throughout the years, there are certain teachings that you'll find so many of that kind of teaching, whether it's on love, whether it's on grace, whether it's on salvation, whether it's on prayer, whether it's on evangelism. And yes, even now, even on sexual you know, purity, and because the Bible emphasizes these things. We, we should not just put it to the side or even assume the Bible does not speak clearly. The Bible speaks clearly on these things. And I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures. We don't have time to read through all of them, so I'll just mention a few of them, okay? I'll read through some of them to highlight where 
this word pornea was used. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 9. I have so much to share with you. Oh, God. And many of you, you are going to, to step into a new dimension of freedom like never before. Proactive freedom. I'll explain to you what that means. Proactive freedom. Vital freedom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And by the grace of God, some inordinate affections. By that, I mean uh, the kind of affections that should not be heard anywhere that some of you have started to develop. They will drop off in the name of Jesus. They will drop off in the name of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. We'll read till verse 10. And this is Paul speaking. This is New Testament. Interesting. A lot of people say, oh, yes, that was olden days with all these laws. Don't do this. Thou shalt not. That's Old Testament. The New Testament, Paul and by the way, the New Testament is the unraveling of the Old. It's not that, oh, Old Testament, this is where you stop. Let's start something creative and fancy and nice, something that will get people going. No, it's, a, it's an unveiling of the Old Testament. You're unwrapping it. And in fact, sometimes giving a higher standard to live by because of the grace we now have. Verse 9, it says, do you not know that the unrighteous... Will, in, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. And I, anytime I read this, I, I believe that Paul made no mistake in putting this phrase there. He says, do not be deceived. Be not deceived. Why? Because people will try to deceive you. The media will try to deceive you. The movies will try to deceive you. Pop culture will try to deceive you. False teachers will try to deceive you. Be not deceived. It's a call to wisen up, to be discerning. It says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he starts to explain who the unrighteous are. He says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. The word fornicators there is pornea, by the way. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Verse 10 nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.19. Read verse 21. So you can see the coherence of scripture here. How the scripture expressly speaks about this one thing. Galatians 5.19-21. to 21. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. I want you to open the scriptures with me, okay? Now, the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, pornea, impurity. And, and when, when I looked at another, uh, some other versions, the summary of sexual immorality here was repeat, repetitive, loveless, cheap sexual escapades. <laughs> That's what it was. Right? Cheap, loveless, repetitive uh, sexual escapades. Impurity. Impurity, most versions call it impure thoughts. Right, sensuality, people call it joyless or frenzied grabs for happiness. Things to just feed your flesh. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. I'll, I'll come to what that word means in a second. Orgies and things like these. I warn you, look at his language. I warn you as I warned you before. This is not the first time I'm telling you. I've repeated it and I'm saying it again. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is not a joke, people of God. This is not a thing of, don't just do it. I'm advising you just because 
We want to look a certain kind of way in society. We want to look upright and look nice. He's literally saying that it's the way you live, whether you, you abide by these things or not, is indicative of where you'll be in eternity. Will you be in the kingdom of God? Will you inherit the promise of salvation? He says, do not be deceived. I'll just read these other scriptures quickly. Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. New Testament stuff, man. New Testament stuff. God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. First Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. First Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 3 to 5. Open quickly with me. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and, hon and honor. Pardon my age factor. <laughs> not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That is the idea. There is a sanctification. You've been called out as a holy nation and it must show. It says that you abstain, abstain from sexual immorality and that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Ephesians 5.3, I'll read this last one. Ephesians 5.3, it says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. It says, I should not even hear this, that somebody is doing this, Mr. Lagbaja is doing this, Mr. Mrs. Sakamanje is doing this. It, it should not be heard. It should not be heard. So let me, let me help you out to, to, to explain what pornea literally is. The first one is fornication, right? Given fornication. And this is premarital sexual interactions. That, that means before marriage. And it literally poses the question, why wait? Why wait? Why can't I gratify myself now? Why can't I go against the order for which God created sex to be expressed and do it before that time comes? It's almost like trying to receive, like the prodigal son, to receive the inheritance before it's the right time. Premarital sex, that's fornication. Number two, adultery, which is extramarital sex, means going outside of the confines of a marriage covenant to have sexual interactions with someone else. And it, the question is, why just one? <laughs> that's what he's asking. Why just one? Why faithfulness? Why faithfulness? Number three, and this is where it gets a bit divided in different camps. But I think naturally we can, we can tell. We'll do the pros and cons and you let me know what you think. Literally, the word pornography was derived from pornea. Literally. Graphy is from the word graphe, which is right, or to make graphic, right? Where sexual activity is written or displayed or expressed. And this is, it goes against God's design of privacy and intimacy and love. But what you see, you see public, not private. You see lust, not love. You see 
that it objectifies rather than sanctifies. It, it, it's, it's, it's not love-driven. It's not private. It's not intimate. And yes, they might do all the stunts to make it look like it is, but it's none of these things. Pornography is part of that bucket you see, sexual immorality. And you say, Pastor Ken, but at, at the time, I mean, look, when they wrote this, pornography was not in view. That's the point. The, the foundational principles and design for marriage would let you know instinctively by discernment what is right and what is wrong. No matter how far technology escalates or advances, there are principles that guide us from the scriptures, and we can know right or wrong. It is loss-driven, and by the way, just in case you, you didn't know, pornography, the, the cons, I, I can't, in fact, I, I, find it, I find it hard to even list one pro. What is the pro? That you learn how to do the thing well. <laughs> These people, they are, they are athletes. Oh. They train. They work out. You want to now do upside down. Okay. Enjoy, enjoy yourself, yeah. The, the point I'm trying to raise is this. There, there's sex trafficking involved. I hope you realize. People are trafficked. Human beings, especially women, are trafficked for sex. They are deceived into modeling agencies. And then they are funneled into these kinds of things. Oh, you know what? Just, just one video for us. Ah, I can't do this. This is what we'll pay you. And that's the point. Remember we mentioned this. If you have a price, you'll never have boundaries. Right? If you have a price, then you can be bought. They give you a price. And boom, you're in. And these people are under the influence of drugs, alcohol. Like... It, when you look at some of the language that is used, and yes, I've had experience. I've seen, I know what I'm saying. When you see the language, you see things about damages. Um, you see language that just talks of violence. And a lot of, of porn today is, is violent. There's, there's nothing good about this. Women should not be treated the way it's portrayed. They should not. They should not. God designed for this to be a private, intimate act driven by a passionate, beautiful, pure love for this partner that is in front of you. Porn also desensitizes. It, 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 and some of you can relate, some of you who have had experience with this. You see that it desensitizes you. Human connection is, is fickle now. It, it's not strong. You can't form long-lasting bonds anymore. The, the desire that you used to have is desensitized. This is what pornography does. Number four, which is this brother or sister of this one is masturbation. And people say, oh, masturbation is not a sin. What if you want to, you know, donate, you know, be a sperm donor, how would you get it out? And of course, that we know that medically speaking, there are alternatives now to that. But at the end of the day, let's not, let's not excuse sin. The bottom line of masturbation, and some people say this, oh, at least I only watch porn, I don't even masturbate. And I hope you are comfortable with me using these words, right? These are real adult stuff, right? Real talk. People say, I watch porn, but I don't masturbate, so I'm fine, I'm good. The point is, is not just the aftermath. It's, it's the act. It's the lust that has come into your heart. It's the lust. It's, if it's lust-driven, then it, it's sinful. If it's all about, if it's, if it's about self-serving, or, or self-service, and it's not selfless. It's, it's not. It, it asks the question, why with anyone else? Whereas God designed 
that the intimacy and an act of sexual intercourse should be done between a man and a woman, not between a man and his, and his well, <laughs> or a woman and her, you know. You know, I, I used this very funny one time. I was explaining, I said, it's not the relationship between a king and his scepter or a queen. Uh, okay, anyways, let me not, let me not, no, let me just. But you get the point. When you take the design of man and woman, and what you do is you say, no, I want to be selfish. I'm, the point of sex is to serve the other person to sexual pleasure, to serve the other person, to honor their body, to love them. When you, when you say, I want to, and you cannot tell me that, you're, that someone is masturbating and they're watching Teletubbies, unless there's something wrong with you. Like, it's fueled by lust. It's fueled by, by lustful thoughts or lustful images or lustful impressions. And it's not God's design. Number five, orgies, orgies. You saw that word in Ephesians 5, orgies. It, it, it's what you refer to as an orgy is where it's, it's similar to polyamory, where there are multiple partners. You can do whatever you like with different groups of people, more than one person, right? And this is not even in terms of polygamy. This is just, we're not even legally married, but we are, as long as we love each other, it's fine. And that's what the world is trying to sell to us. As long as I love this person, it's fine. It doesn't mean anything. We love each other. There's consent. So there's, there's nothing that cannot be done. No. That is not true. It's not true. It, it, it's simply people saying, why not one person? And people ask this question, like, they say this, I, I cannot see myself being with one person or sleeping with one partner for the rest of my life. It's not possible. Some people say it's not possible for a man to do it. Men are dogs. Men are animals. You, are you a dog? When, like, are you barking? Are you roof, roof? Is that you? <laughs> <laughs> Is that your destiny in Christ? <laughs> You're not a dog. And yes, you might have had that kind of history. You were promiscuous. But if there's anything today that makes me believe that God exists, it's how he transforms lives radically. I heard a powerful story today of a man who was ridden with drugs, finding himself you know, in an ashram temple in India, trying to find what reality is. And God met him there with a Bible that his ex gave him. Found him there, saved him. And this man is traveling the world preaching the gospel. Nothing gets me more than that. God can change a life. So let's not, let's not toy with this idea that, look, this is just human nature. It's not. It's not what God wants for us. Number six, homosexuality. And I don't really have the time when we, when we you know, have Audacity Conference, which is coming up pretty soon, by the way, in June, the month of June. It's going to be explosive, right? And I'll give you a big re reveal. Those of you who are in this teaching, you, you get to know what it's about. But this is one of the things we'll address you know, at length. And contrary to the design of a family unit, God wants that a man and a woman come together. He didn't create Adam and Steve. He didn't create Madame and Eve. Like, think about it by design. What kind of couple, right, can form a family unit that is beneficial to society, that can procreate? It's a man and a woman. And people say, yes, but there are ways now that people do it. People do surrogacy. People adopt, and they love each other. So why are you stopping it? But it goes against God's design. It does, and I don't really want to take all the time to talk about this, but 
at the end of the day, this is a sensitive issue, and yes, it's a given. But at the end of the day, we are under a new kingdom with its rules, with its constitution. And feelings aside, we should be in a place where we are willing to submit everything, all opinions, all resistance at the feet of Jesus and let him tell us what is true. We have, and this is becoming a plague, by the way, especially in the Western world, where they are blurring the lines now, where it's acceptable and we should encourage these things as long as no one is being harmed. But a lot of people are being harmed. When we don't do things God's way, people will always be harmed. Number seven, incest, right? And there's a question, why outside the family? Let's keep it inside, you know, let's keep it in the family. And, you know, people debate this and say, well, and I hope you're not one of those people, because it's weird. I think as a society, we've just come to the conclusion that having sexual relations with someone in your family is just, like, innately, we just, it's just wrong. This is one of the least debated ones. But I can tell you, in some of the European nations that I've read about, this is still a thing, right, where with cousins and siblings and parents, this is just happening, right? And it's wrong. You know, it was mentioned in Leviticus 18. If you want to read about this, it's all in Leviticus verse, um, chapter 18. Father, stepmother, um, sister, daughter, son, everything. It's there. Um, but people will say that was just Leviticus. Like, where does the New Testament tell us we should not do anything with our family members? But you see Paul literally reiterate what was spoken in the law, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, where he calls out a guy who was having relations with his father's wife called him out. He said, you're doing things that are not even named amongst Gentiles. Ha. Huh. God help us. He said it in 1 Corinthians 5, 10 to 11. But I won't read it. Incest is one of those perversions of sexual intimacy. Number eight, pedophilia. And it's a given. Like, if this person is a minor, you have no business having sexual you know, interactions with this person. Right? Then number nine, necrophilia, which is so strange, and it's a thing, right, where people have affiliations and sexual affiliations for dead people. Number ten, bestiality, which is a perverse. Just look at how, look at how the devil has thwarted God's beautiful design into all these things. How it's, 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 there's so much decadence that led us to a place where Moses literally had to write a law and say, Lagbaja. Thou shalt not sleep with an animal. Like, do you know how bad sin... Ah, like I said, sin is progressive, and many of you can understand this. It doesn't just stop. Many of you, when it started, you probably saw, you know, when you started having... So maybe some people who start out with addictions, what happens is you start off with one, one image you just saw. Maybe you didn't even plan to, and today you don't even need to search it out. It seeks you out. You find on social media some image, it stays in your mind. You, you just can't shove it off. And then curiosity drives you, and you search for the next thing, and search for that thing. And it's, wow, it's intense the first time. And your heart beats, skips a beat, and your conscience is raving. And then the next time, you're like, hmm, I want to see some more. And the next time, I want to see some more. You start being desensitized and numb to some kinds. You start to go for more. Sin is progressive. It doesn't stop. And then before you know it, you're like, you know, you, you want to take what you've seen on the screen into real life. 
and you want to do it with just one person, but that one person is not enough because you've seen it that, look, you can do this with multiple people, and sin progresses and tells you this is not enough. You need to consume some more. Sin is that black hole that wants to consume, 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 but never gets filled and satisfied. And many people say, I mean, some of these things are just, they come naturally. They come naturally. And especially in the camp of, you know, homosexuality, let me just say, this is a natural thing. I was born this way. This is a natural behavior, an attribute that I had from birth. I was born gay. I was born this. And I know that's not the teaching. Some people say I was born, and you don't even hear people say I was born to cheat. <laughs> or I was born, you know, to have multiple, no, nobody has that. But here's the thing. Imagine you see a four-year-old child who naturally, you know, starts to bite people, just bites people and, and just is mean to people and breaks stuff. That is naturally what they started to do on their own. Would you say it's morally acceptable and right? No, you won't. In fact, would you say you taught that child? Did you, as a parent, teach the child to bite? You did not. But somehow, because David told us this, maybe we didn't see it. He said, in sin was I conceived. There was already a nature within a child to go against God's plan. A perversion that was growing and grooming on the inside to, 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 to make us go against what God has ordained for our lives and for our love relationships. And so, when you see a child act like that, you will stop it. Because it's unacceptable. You won't say, oh, carry on. Bite as many people as you want. Vampire, go on. <laughs> You won't do that. You will stop the child. You will correct the child. You will discipline the child so that they don't go out of order. That is, the, that is the thing. It is natural. But not to the man in Christ. Not to the man in Christ. I'll read a quick scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. We just read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, right? But I want to show you something in verse 11. After he listed all these crimes, all these uh, expressions of sexual immorality, he said this, and such were some of you. Look at the tense there. That was you. Yes, you. Tunde, that was your life. I remember. Those were, that was what some of you used to do. But you were washed. Hallelujah. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of God. That is your life. That is the life you have. You've been washed. That nature has been ridden off. You've taken, off, taken on a new nature. Hallelujah. Ephesians 4.22. This is what it says. Ephesians 4.22. That you put off concerning your former conducts, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 24, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you see that? Put on Christ. Put on the new man. Put on the new life. This is what God is asking of you. And, and, and this is where many of us now struggle. If that was my past, why is it still in my present even though I'm saved? Even though I'm washed, I'm justified, I'm sanctified, I believe this. But why is my past creeping into my present? Well, that, that's a conversation we're going to have. But let me just say this. Now, when we talk about any kind of sexual immorality, 
It starts somewhere. Before you decide or say a thing or do a thing, it starts where? In the mind. In the mind. This is where it is. This is where the battlefield, this is where the wars and the battles are won. It's in the mind. And let me just give you this because I want us to establish a fact, right? It's not just about you doing. Some of you say, oh, at least I'm not hurting anyone. Uh, at least I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. But you've thought it. Let me show you something. At the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, from verse 21 to 22, this is what Jesus had to say. Our Lord Jesus says this. Matthew 5, 21 to 22. Wow. He says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Right? You shall not commit murder. This is Exodus 20. Ten commandments. Thou shalt not murder. And whoever murders will what? Be in danger of judgment. They will literally stone you to death. There will be capital punishment also with God. Verse 22. But I say to you, this, this was Jesus just busting their religious bubbles. Where they felt comfortable in one extreme act of a thing. And they forgot that the extreme act was first premised on something. Something else. Something that, that birthed that action. And Jesus is exposing, don't just look at the final thing. There was a process to this. That process itself is sinful. Look at what he says. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Anger with his brother or sister without a cause is in danger of judgment. And he goes on to say, if you call your brother a fool, that you are at risk of, of hell. Right? You're at risk of judgment. And he starts to, to say this thing. The, the simple moral fact is what he's saying is that thoughts and words kill. That's where murder is. Murder can be committed in your mind. You can hate a person so much that it's almost as if you have already committed the act of murder. Let me show you another example. First John chapter 3 from verse 14 to 15. I know a lot of scriptures, isn't it what we're here for? Right? First John chapter 3 from verse 14 to 15. I hope you're learning something today. It says, we know that we have passed from death to life. How do you know that you've passed from death to life? This is how you know. Because we love the brethren. And he who does not love his brother abides in sin. Uh, abides in death, I beg your pardon. Verse 5, look at it. He takes it up a notch. This is John speaking. Who, whoever hates his brother is what? Is what? A murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This changes the game. That look, it's not just about taking a knife or taking a gun and taking the life of another person, killing that person. The very fact that you hate a person, that you literally have someone that you keep malice and you allow that to brew in your heart, the bitterness, the anger, you are at risk of committing murder as well. You're, you're a murderer is what John says. It's saying, what it means is that, look, the reason why he's saying this is because conceived thoughts can actually lead to actions, whether verbal or nonverbal. It does. And, 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 and lust is a decision of the mind, right? It's a thing of decisions in the mind, lust, right? I've said this many times, you cannot control what comes into your mind, right? The thoughts, like I said, we had what, about 50,000 thoughts per day? You really can't control what comes into your mind. 
but you can choose what stays and what you do with those thoughts that stay. That is where the real issue is. I, I, I'm trying to help you see that it's beyond just what people see on the outside. It's here. This is also important to God. What goes on in your mind, what is conceived. Look at Matthew 5, 27, 28. This is what I've been trying to, to get to right now. And then Jesus goes to another piece of the law. He's still on the sermon teaching to this, uh, on the mount, you know, that he's teaching, the sermon he's teaching on the mount to these people. And he's addressed murder. Now he goes to another law of the Ten Commandments. And he says, you've also heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I think about it, that this is part of the ten the foundational commandments of love. Think about that. You shall not hurt another person that you are expected to be faithful to by cheating on them. Think about that. It's a law in itself. It says you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who just looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And of course, the reason why the word adultery was used is because he was talking to a group of Pharisees and, and, and talking to people that were in that space of marriage, many of which were married, right? So he's saying that it's not just about actually getting to be with the person and sleep with them, but imagining, conceiving those lustful attempts that, look, this person, I want to have sexual interactions with this person. He says, you have committed adultery already. So you see, almost like the bar is set higher. And that's, that, ex that is expected. The people in the, in the old covenant, they had these laws, but they did not have the power. Now you have the commandments of the Lord to love God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself, of which some of these, uh, in which these actually are the summary of. But now you don't just have the laws, you have the ability. You have the ability to do it now. So grace is not, even a, it's not in any way a license to go on in sin. It is the empowerment to live a life above sin. It's the empowerment that you've always needed to say no to these things, to actually, to actually fulfill the requirements of the law. Powerful stuff. Look at James 1, verse 12 to 15. James explains this concept. I'm staying here because I don't want us to... I want us to learn how to be quick to attack the source of sexual immorality. Not just the outcome of it, but the source. James 1 verse 12 to 15, he, you know, James starts to describe what happens whenever people get tempted. Uh, maybe it's congee that is tempting you or something else. But any kind of lust, whether it's covetousness of any kind, this is how it starts. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Look at that. There is always a reward for enduring temptation. The crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And that's talking about the, the inheritance that the saints have. Verse 13. Let no one say that when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. He's trying to tell you, look, God does not tempt you to prove your faith or anything like that in this regard. He, he's not doing that. For God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Those desires I spoke about that come naturally to a fallen man. That is what happens. It drags you, entices you, it, it compels you. Then when that desire has conceived, when the, the lustful thoughts have come, it will conceive and gives birth to sin. And when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
So he's telling you it's the desires of sin that lure you. But guess what? Those desires, those lustful thoughts conceive and give birth to sin. Praise the name of Jesus. Now look at what the Bible says in Ephesians 4.26. I want to use this as a balance. You know, it says, do not be angry. You know, be angry, actually. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So he said, look, there'll be moments where you'll be angry. You will be angry. People will upset you. But he says what? Even with that anger, don't let it get to the next level where it conceives and gives birth to sin. Are you following what I'm saying? Stop it in its tracks. The discipline of, the, of your mind is a discipline of your actions and your words. That's it. Anyone who can discipline their mind, you can discipline your actions completely. If you can control, yes, you're not in control of what enters, but you're in control of what stays and what goes. Then that's where true power is. That's where true discipline is. That's where victory over sin starts. And that leads me to what I want to say. I want to give you a caveat. I'm going to share with you things that I believe would help you handle sexual temptations the right way. Because everybody has them, I believe. At least most of us have sexual temptations. And even those who are married, these sexual temptations are still there. It doesn't vanish. It does not. There's no miracle water or passageway that you marry and you enter, I'm a new man. Mm -mm. Right? So everybody faces these things. But one thing I can tell you is this, and I'm using this to inspire hope in you. 100% freedom is possible and it is yours already in Christ. 100% freedom is possible. It is possible. It is possible. It is possible. Freedom in Christ starts as a legal and spiritual reality. Freedom. 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 Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. It's a spiritual reality. I'll show you some scriptures. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Ah, I need to read all the scriptures to you. Maybe I'll give you one to take over. I'll read all of them to you. 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Powerful stuff. God always leads us in, you know, in triumph in Christ. He leads us on a triumphal procession. He leads us. Christ won the victory on the cross and Christ is leading that parade where we all celebrate the triumph that we now have because of him. 1 Corinthians 15, 56-57. 1 Corinthians 15, 56-57. It says, The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. What that simply means is um, that sin... Uh, what made <coughs> that it was sin that made death so frightening is what he's trying to say, right? And that the law that brought guilt gives sin its power, its destructive power. That's what he's saying. Like the law condemns, you know, and, and that's what this means. Verse 57 But thanks be to God. Can someone just say, Thanks be to God? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Powerful reality. God gives you victory through who? Jesus Christ, the leader of that triumphal procession. Romans 8.37. Yet in all these things, we are what? We are more than conquerors. Through who? Jesus Christ who loves us. So 
by reason of the victory that Jesus has won for us when he conquered sin and death, the power, the penalty, the, 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 the future presence of sin. He's conquered it all, broken the power of sin, and we can walk in that freedom. Glory to God. There is no power of sin that can survive the power of God. Hallelujah. But here's the thing about victory. As much as it's a, it's a spiritual, legal reality in Christ, it must be expressed vitally. It must be expressed on a daily, daily basis. You, what you experience and what you display and demonstrate is daily victory. And this is what a lot of people don't realize. This is where it doesn't connect. Because your temptations will come on a daily basis. Those are the opportunities to express that spiritual victory received in Christ on a daily basis. Do you understand what I've just said? Look at Romans chapter 6. I'll explain. Romans chapter 6, from verse 6 to 7. It says this, knowing this, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Now, our old man, the old life, the nature of sin was crucified, was dealt with, was killed. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. Praise the name of Jesus. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Look at that. That the body of sin, the body of sin means the hold and the power that sin had. It's been done away with so that we are no longer controlled. That's the point. Of, that's what body of sin means. The, the master that sin was, the controlling power that sin had. We now can live free. We are no longer slaves of sin. Praise the name of Jesus. So that's the point. The, the body of sin truly indeed is broken over your life. If you truly believe in Jesus, the power is done away with. But here is the connection, and this is the language of Scripture. It's been done already, so do. The victory has been won already, so win. Your, your, your old man has been crucified, so crucify your flesh. Do you, do you understand? The old man has been crucified, now mortify the deeds of your flesh. That is the language of scripture. It is proactive, proactive victory is what I'm talking about. Daily proactive victory is God's will for your life. God wants you to be a blameless people that live out the victory that he has afforded for us. Hallelujah. That's what God wants for us. God wants a holy people to himself. Everyone is doing it is not an excuse anymore to do anything. The word of God will always be our standard. It will always be our guidance. God wants you awake, not woke. <laughs> I remember the first time I said that to someone. God wants you awake, not woke. He wants you awake to the new life in Christ. He, God wants your conscience awake. Because many people have become numb. I'll start with that. God wants your conscience awake. What happens when sin progresses is that you start to become numb. You start to become comfortable in sin. You start to dwell where sin is. Your, your heart, when you first did that thing, some of you know what I'm talking about. You first did that thing that you shouldn't have done. And your heart skipped so many beats. You were ridden with shame and guilt and you wept and you cried and you wished the ground would open up and swallow you and God would strike you directly. You felt far away from God. But with time, look at what happened. <laughs> In fact, you just finished, if I had news of someone, 
Of course, I'm not going to mention who this is, but I was so taken aback by the deceptiveness of sin. This person went for a convention, and there was like, an, I think, an 11-hour or 12-hour prayer marathon kind of thing in the convention. And this guy prayed, you know, and after they were done, he, he and his sister in Christ, in that place, went to a hotel nearby and did another round of fellowship, if you know what I'm talking about. And, and they went for the, it was a three-day camp. They went for the next day, did the same thing again. You, do, you know, do, you know what, do you know how hardened you have to be? That, that, and that's what a lot of people are, even believers, true, actual, saved, sanctified believers are experiencing. You've been numbed. Sin has numbed you. Your conscience is hardened, seared. That is not God's will for your life, that you stay in a place and you're comfortable. I don't think I can break free from this thing, so I'll just manage it all my life, as long as no one gets hurt. That is the deceptiveness of sin. It's not God's will for your life. He wants your conscience awake. He wants you awake, not woke. God wants your discernment awake. He wants you to be sober-minded and vigilant in all things. God wants your discernment awake. That you know places to avoid, people to run away from, things to stop, things to run away. That you know this thing will be a gateway to another round of problems. God wants your discernment awake. He wants your discernment. He wants you to realize that before that person even approaches, this person is trouble. That this movie just came out. You've seen it. The movie just came out. But you know what that movie is about? And it's trouble. He wants your discernment awake. And God wants your convictions awake. He wants your convictions to awake that there's no room for compromise for anything or anyone. Zero tolerance. See, some of the most outrageous vices and criminal offenses that we see in the world are simply this, a perversion of sexual immorality, of sexual uh, activity. Perversion of sexual intercourse and intimacy. That is what you see at the, at the basis of, of many things that we see now. Criminal offenses, you know, when you see rapes, when you see pedophilia, where you see, you know, empires crumble. It's because of this thing. You can give zero, you must give zero tolerance for this thing in your life. God wants you awake. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. And, and this is what a woke, a, a woke world will tell you. The woke world will tell you, how do you know you're really sexually compatible if you, don't, if you never try? How do you just discover that you're sexually compatible when you get married? I can tell you free of charge. They did not pay me to say this. My wife did not pay me to say this. But we are very sexually compatible. Glory to God. We did not have to try or do a mid-semester test. The exam, we passed the exam. <laughs> you don't need it. it. That's the lie of the world. Some people will say we can't, the work world will say we can't cohabit. How do you know what living together is like if you don't try it? Are you, are you happy, my dear, living together with me? Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> because we are enjoying our company. And these are things you can always tell when you are in a dating relationship. The work world will tell you this thing is just for fun. The work world will tell you, I mean, at the end of the day, do you, it doesn't have to mean anything. It's just for fun. It's just for flex. 
It's a meaningless fling. Have you heard people do that? One night stands. Oh, I, I don't want anything more. Let's just have sex and that's it. That is what the woke world is telling you about sex. We are selling what God gave us as a beautiful gift. We're selling it cheaply. And some people will say, do you really love a person if you don't sleep with them? Like, how do you know you, you truly love someone if you've not expressed it by sleeping with them? It's a lie. There are better ways before marriage to express your love and the person can know that you will die for them. Love is sacrificial. When Jesus wanted to prove his love, what did he do? Was it sexual intimacy? No. He proved it by selfless sacrifice on a cross for the sake of, of, of sinners like us. You can know love by that, by sacrifice. And people say, as long as it's consensual, it's okay. No matter how many people it is, as long as it's not violently done, and there's mutual consent, it's fine. That is not the basis. It's not just consent, it's covenant. There must be a covenant. There must be marriage in place that God has put. And people, like I said before, the work world will tell you, you can have as many partners as you want, that it's not possible for you to stay faithful to one partner forever. And I can tell you categorically, I can tell you, on, I can tell you beyond my ten fingers, Couples that I know, and of course, I, I, I don't have a spy cam in their house to know, or, or on their everyday life to know what they're doing, but I can vouch on their integrity. There are people who have been faithful and are still faithful today, and there are many of them out there. Many of them out there. God doesn't want us woke. He wants us what? Awake. Hallelujah. And one, of the, one thing I've noticed, and I mentioned this at LOL conference, when the devil has tried to do all these things to get your mind. When he's tried to attack you with these thoughts, he's tried to use everything that has worked in the past, but he's not getting to you again because you've grown so much now. Your devotion is on point. You are loving the Lord, what he will do. And this is where a lot of Christians are not sensitive. And that's why I said your discernment needs to, uh, to be awake. People have seen who have been the strongest people in terms of their sexual convictions in, in a moment's breath. These people have dropped everything. Especially people in the diaspora, we'll have that conversation some other time. People, are, and you hear the things that I'm like, you that I knew in school, I was even chastising people, calling people out for doing these things. You yourself, you carried yourself. Ah, hey! Because what the devil does now is he installs people. Ah, he didn't know. He installs people, he brings people that you can have a bond with, get vulnerable with. And just start to believe the convictions that they, they also have. That look, it's okay to do this since we love each other. And I have a plan for you. We're going to get married someday. Have a big house. Have a beautiful family. And you are just in that whims. And your hormones are now raging, telling you things. Oh boy. Hmm. This is the strategy of the enemy now. I'm telling you. If he cannot get to your mind. And, and, and this is something that even happened with me. When you know, he was trying to attack me. Um, you know, so about two years ago, there was a se season of time where I was talking so vehemently, teaching some kinds of teachings like this and teaching some other kinds uh, of teachings to just help a lot of people. And people were being set free. People were being blessed, transformed. And the devil was not happy. So he tried to attack my mind. Tried to bring, you know, ugly things, zombies of my past back. It did not work. He tried to bring people. It did not work. Then he now started to... <laughs> To cause, and, and I think my, my wife can remember this, where I had, in the span of one week, five accidents. Tried to take my life. It did not still work. 
The devil is relentless. Do you understand? He's, he's roaming about looking for whom to do. That's his 24-7 job. It's not 9 to 5. It's not part-time job. His job is who can I destroy today? And he does not sleep. At least last I checked. And he has a team, a workforce. <laughs> I hope you know. Ah, and there are some that are in human form. There are the people that empower in the, in the industries that you're seeing in this world. May God help us. May God preserve our convictions till he returns in the name of Jesus. Now, where we've been trying to get to all this while, how to keep Konji at bay. <laughs> if you, not bay like bay, Ebu bay, no. Like how to keep Konji at bay, at arm's length, how to handle sexual temptations. I'm going to tell you something that you probably never heard before, and I'm saying this for the very first time. For the very first time, and I want you to pay close attention. I'm, personally, I've never heard this anywhere else. I've never heard anyone preach this. And this is not one of those cases where nobody has preached this before. Nobody has said this. Let me establish new doctrine. No, this is not new doctrine. I think it's just a negligence on our part, especially even as preachers. right? And I want to, I want to help you. That's why I'm saying this. I want to help you. Have you ever said, heard that, that, that saying, if you fail to plan... You what? You plan to fail. Imagine you're about to embark on a project to build the tallest building in the world. And, you know, the president of that nation is like, oh, I'm excited. Take, you know, the tallest building today, Burj, the Burj Khalifa. Imagine the president was, I'm excited about this. Oh, wonderful, Mr. Architect. So uh, how are you going to go about it? Like, oh, we're just going to wing it and see how it goes. I, sorry, I'm confused. I didn't, I didn't hear it correctly. What, what are the schematics? What are the blueprints? What's... What's the plan? Well, no plan. We're just going to put blocks here, put glass, and, and you know, wing it. <laughs> that is, that is planned to fail. It's doomed. It's not going to work. And some of you, when you were starting out this year, you had something called a New Year resolution. You had plans. Career goals, spiritual goals in your devotion, this, this, that. You set them out. You made them smart goals. All of this. But the problem is that many of us have goals in places where it doesn't really matter as much. You have goals in things that don't really matter as much. When you, when you don't plan for a critical project that involves life, lives, guess what, what happens? People will get hurt. If you create the tallest building and you don't have a plan, in fact, it's by the grace of God you create that tallest building, but you don't have a plan, lives will suffer. People, that building is coming down. And people will be hurt in the process. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And when you don't set goals, how do you know how well you're doing? You understand? How do you know you're achieving any goals if there are no goals to achieve? So number one thing I will say about keeping and handling sexual uh, temp temptations is number one, set sexual goals. Set sexual goals. And by, by privilege, I've been able to, to help a couple of people do this, you know, to do this. I believe it's very effective if done well. Set sexual goals, and I'll just give you a framework of what it looks like, right? But of course, any good goal-setting strategy must be smart. It must be specific, measurable, achievable, um, relevant, and time-bound, right? And... And I'll tell you what the second thing about goal, goal setting would be in, in the second point. But number one is what? 
set sexual goals, creating them, have an action plan, right? And this is what it's going to look like. These are questions you need to ask. I'll give you some examples. All right. Are you paying attention? I've, I've never heard this being taught, but I think it's so valuable. I did this in my, was it 200, 300 level? No one taught me. I, maybe the Holy Spirit did, I believe. And I just set it out. Things I wanted to see, things I didn't want to see anymore. I planned, I was specific. These are some of the things you need to ask. Pay attention. Number one, what habits need to go? What habits need to go? Whether it's sexting, porn, masturbation, erotic novel reading, things that you need to stop that are unhealthy. Like, and why do you need to stop them? What habits need to go and why? All right? If it's promiscuity, write it down. What habits do I need to start? Examples are maybe aggressive accountability, reading more healthy spiritual books, you know, um, fasting off your devices. What habits do you need to do even more? What habits do you need to start? That's number two. Number three, what are, what are your triggers? What are your triggers? What triggers an unhealthy sexual tension? For you, for some people, I know we can talk about things like movies, social media, porn itself, maybe chats with certain people, YouTube, Netflix, anything. For some people, it's just boredom. Boredom is a trigger. Stress is a trigger. Are you paying attention? Sometimes those your hormones being that time of a certain month or that time or certain time of the month, that's when those triggers come. Whatever it is. Write them down. You write it like this. I've noticed that any time I watch this, I feel like this. Every time in this time of the month, I feel this way, and this is when I'm, almost, I'm usually prone to entering trouble. Write it down. What are my triggers? Number four, what media or visual input should I reduce? Right? This, I'm just giving you examples. So you, you need to get more specific. Okay, you know what? I want to reduce my activity on Twitter to 10 minutes every day. Right? Or I need to just go off Twitter completely. Whatever it is, make those goals. What are you going to do? What kind of influence are you going to reduce? Another one is, what next immediate streak do I want to go for without falling? And this one is very important. What next immediate streak do you want to go victorious? And, and this is how I'll explain it. You know what a streak is, right? Some of you have the Bible app. When you do something consistently, it's a streak. So day one, day two, day three, you've been doing that thing consistently and successfully. That's a streak. So maybe for you, you've never even imagined going two weeks free of an addiction, free of a, a particular sexual behavior. Now you tell yourself, okay, I think the longest I've ever gone is two, maybe two weeks, and then I'm back again. Okay, you know what? Let me start there. For the next two weeks, I would make sure that I, don't, I go that two weeks without falling. And once I've done two weeks, I'll extend it again, and extend it again, and extend it again. There needs to be intentionality to this. Another one is what boundaries have been broken. So it's, it's like a conversation with yourself while you are setting practical steps to move on. Do you understand this? It was the Lord that gave me this template. Like I've never, if you search online, you won't, maybe there are things like that, but I believe it's very helpful. What boundaries have I, have, have I broken? You ask yourself, what things... Have you done and what that you said you will not do? What boundaries have you broken in terms of sexual purity, right? Have you made out with someone you are not dating or married to? Have you cheated? Have you been unfaithful? Have you 
watched this, done that. Then next question to ask is what boundaries do I need to rebuild? What boundaries do I need to rebuild? What boundaries do I need to rebuild? So no more sexting, no more fornication, no more this, no more that. You need to be specific. More importantly, which is the next question, is what will it take to rebuild these boundaries? What will it take? And this is where a lot of people have issues. I was having a conversation with someone, and this person broke the boundary of fornication, of, of not having premarital sex. And this was, I think, the person's first time or so. The person graciously came to meet me, told me. I said, okay, the first question I asked is, what are you going to do about it? And she said, I'll just try to do better and just make sure I study the word of God and pray. I said, okay, I understand. That's good. Have you blocked this person? I said, ah, I can't block this person. This person is my friend. Like, we, we're very close. And I said, you're not ready. <laughs> you're not ready to rebuild the boundaries. You're not. You're not. You're not. You mean to tell me you will keep talking to this person every day and you will be stronger than ever before? No, no. No, no. It doesn't work like that. You cannot be in the presence of, of an appearance of evil and not fall into evil. It doesn't work like that. If you're in the company of prophets, you'll prophesy. If you're in the company of sinners and without the strategy of evangelizing to them or the intention of evangelism, you will sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what boundaries do you need to rebuild? Do you need to block certain people, cut certain people out? What are you going to do? Then you need to ask the question, what do I want in my future sex life when I'm married? That's an important question that people are not asking. What do you want to see in your, se se in your sex life when you're married? You say things like, I, I want to view God, uh, sex as, God's giving, uh, as God, a God-given gift. I want to satisfy my partner in marriage, and I want my partner to satisfy me. I don't want to settle or manage in the, in the pleasure department. I want to live a life free of porn and masturbation. I want to have clean, clear thoughts always. I want my, my view on sex to be pure and right. I don't want to cheat. These are things you need to write down. These are things you need to set. This is what you want your future sex life to look like. Then you need to ask, what help do I need to have a healthy sex life in the future? So you've established the what. Now you're talking about the how. How would I get this? It could be talking to a therapist, getting some help. It could be going to rehab. It could be talking to your pastor. It could be, um, you know, in doing this, addressing your childhood experiences or trauma or past relationship baggage, uh, things that have the potential to impede that beautiful, bright future that God has for your sex life. God, God, God desires that you have a beautiful and, and booming sex life. I hope you know that. He gave that to you as a gift. But he doesn't want perversion to take a hold of it. And it doesn't matter how long it's been perverted in your life, one day, one encounter can change it. One proactive step can change it all. And I think you need to ask is what baggages you know, weigh heavy on me that are still unresolved, right? And maybe in, in having those conversations with people you trust, um, that, can be, that, that can be helped. A lot of people don't realize how, how much childhood experiences have affected them now. When you, when you do at least it's 70 to 80% of people who are in some sort of sexual addiction or are just in a mess 
it started long ago in for even cases where they don't even remember as far as you know i've had conversations with people people who have at five years old and the one that even blew my mind was five years five year old girl another classmate who was six year old you know did something to her on the playground touched her in her privates and since then there was a sexual awakening since that since five years old but that six-year-old child, guess where she got it from? From her uncle. And uh, man, I, I don't even want to talk about it because I would just get very upset. And a lot of you, you've had those experiences. You've been abused sexually. Go to the roots. Address it. Let go of the bitterness. If there's any form of an, an unforgiving spirit, forgive these people. But get help. Get help. And then you need to ask the question, what are my sexual fears or anxieties? What are my sexual fears or anxieties, right? Some people are afraid, will I be able to actually satisfy my partner? Some people are afraid that they will be numb emotionally or numb sexually, desensitized. Some people have fears that they feel like they're worthless or undeserving of love. Address these things. What are your sexual fears and anxieties? And there are many more things to talk about, but these are just a few to give you a template to work with so that you build these things. And, and this leads me to the next step. After you've built these things, number two, after section, setting sexual goals, be accountable to those goals. Don't ever overestimate your ability that I can do this. Um, you're not as strong as you look, I promise you. Not even the, the best exp expositor of the word of God or the, the prayer machines. You're not as strong as you look, I promise you. You need accountability. There needs to be people that can call you out. There needs to be people that can pester your life. That can say, oh boy, how far? When last? Why now? What happened? This is, this is, call you out on it. And you know, they will ask you the next time. So you better not mess up. You better be proactive about your victory walk. It's not for the person that, that you're accountable to, to always be coming to you to, to pester you. How far? When last? What's happening? Are you good? You know, what is going on? You should be equally accountable. You go, you report, report yourself, you call out for help, send SOSs. Your life depends on this thing. It's a, it's a process of reprogramming your mind to be able to do without the sexual temptations. Do you understand? Or to be able to overcome them when they come and not give in to them. It's a reprogramming process. So whenever, this is what it means by do not quench the spirit. When Paul said it, whenever the spirit leads you, you know, those who are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God, led in righteousness. When the Spirit leads you in righteousness and you say, Holy Spirit, this time around, I, I, I don't want to do this one. I want to just give in. You've quenched the Spirit. And you quench the Spirit again, and you quench the Spirit again, and your conscience is hardened. And you, you are desensitized to the Spirit, your conscience is hardened. Before long, this, the Spirit is a gentleman. He will never impose anything on you. He will not drag your ear, oh boy, come back here. He will not. And you don't want to resemble the, the Israelites who were hardened. And you know what happened to them. You don't. So be proactive. Share with, I'll advise that these sexual goals, you share with someone that you can trust. I mean, you, you can really, really trust. And have them accountable. And if you are, if you are a, if I would advise you do with a same-sex kind of arrangement, right? So that there is no encroachment of that kind of thing if you if you have a boyfriend uh, someone you plan to marry maybe you can share with them but I would advise except you have a trusted pastor ministry gift uh, therapist 
If you're going to do it with a friend, I'll recommend that it's guy to guy, girl to girl, okay? But go to them. This is how far I've come. I said I will do a two-week streak free of this thing. This is where I'm at. I'm at the, the eighth day. Thank God this is what has happened. These are the temptations I've experienced, and I'm still going strong. Glory to God. That is how to be accountable. Don't wait for, to they call your ear and drag you. That is, that is irresponsible. It's irresponsible. All right, but I promise you that when you do this, you will see results. You will see results. You need to track your progress. Where am I at on my fears and anxieties? Have I conquered these things yet? Am I ready for, 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 to experience these things when I'm in, in, a, in a marriage situation? Number three. So we've said number one is what? Set sexual goals. Very good. Number two is what? Be accountable. Be accountable to those goals and to someone trusted. Number three, build formidable boundaries. Build formidable boundaries. And, and of course, I'm trying to extrapolate from one of the sexual goals you do, but I want, to, I, I want you to have this in place. This is how you handle sexual te- temptations uh, majorly. Build formidable boundaries. And I'll explain what I mean. Uh, your boundaries must be... F- have four attributes, right? Your boundaries should have four attributes. Uh, number one, they should be specific. Your boundaries should be specific. Don't be ambiguous. I will never commit sin in my life again. What is the boundary you are building? What is that boundary you are building that tailors to a specific lack that you have? Right? You need to be, you need to be exact about what needs to be reduced, what needs to be replaced, what needs to be remembered. What needs to be reduced, what needs to be replaced, what needs to be remembered, right? It can be specific. We must never have sex or foreplay or make out until we're married. We must never sext each other. So those are things that should be replaced and done away with, right? Until the time. Oh, I must stop watching these kinds of movies altogether. That's a replacement. I should reduce my time on so 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 platform. That's re- reducing, right? And I, I need to remember that my body will only be joined with someone I'm one flesh with. My body is the temple of God. That's what needs to be remembered. So you need to build these boundaries again. They are, they, these boundaries act as convictions. These are the confines through which fire, you understand? You're, you're building back the boundaries where fire can still serve its rightful purpose and not destroy. So be specific about your boundaries. Number two, be intentional about your boundaries. Don't just leave it to chance. Anyone that says... You know, we'll see what happens, right? Ah, maybe you are going to your babe's house, right? You and you are alone. She's, a, you know, she's going to be alone. You're going to her house to visit her, and your friend is, ah, bro, how far? Where are you going? Ah, I'm going to see Jeno. Eh, alone? Ah, what's happening? I'm just going to chill and you know, watch Netflix. <laughs> Literally, Netflix and chill. Well done. Yeah. And you're going by yourself. Ah, yes, now. See, whatever happens, happens, man. That is a red flag. That is a red alarm. It's a red siren. That must never be the language of a believer that is intentional about sexual purity. Your boundaries must be intentional. Intentional. You set them, even if in that moment, someone, and this is how you do it, even if in that moment one person is weak, ah, you know, and I can share this, you know, my, my wife gives this example as well, so I can share. There were times where, as body no be firewood, and blood is running through your veins, you know, congees in full gear, you know, 
my wife will ask me this question and she'll say, babe, why are we waiting? Right? Why are we waiting? And so in a sense, I see it as a, you know, and maybe she's not like, um, you know, flat out weak and cannot do anything. And she just wants to jump on me and, and I was going to say destroy my life, but build my life. <laughs> and she just wants to do things. No, no, no. Like she was in a moment of, just a moment of, of little weakness, like, why are we really waiting? And in those moments, I could easily say, you know what, babe, like, what's the point? We know we're going to get married. Let's just give it. I know a couple that did that who were, you know, serving in one particular church as leaders. I know a couple, and this was the conversation they had. But I, 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 in that moment, I had to be intentional. I had to be strong to help with such, such weakness in that moment. And there were times where she did that for me as well. And I told her, no, babe, because we will honor God with our bodies, we'll honor God in our minds, we'll honor God with our relationship, and we will not be those who give in to a momentary pleasure, you know, versus delaying that gratification for a greater glory. And I reminded her of these things occasionally. She reminded me as well, look, intentionality is what builds boundaries. It is. Because when you feel like it, and when you don't, you need to be intentional because those days will come when you don't feel like it. I promise you. So be intentional. Number one, be specific about the boundaries you want to set. Number two, be intentional about building them. Number three, be honest. Be honest about the boundaries. Be honest about the boundaries. And what it means is be honest about what you can handle and what you cannot handle. Be honest. Be (laughs) honest. You didn't know I met a guy. I didn't know it existed, but I met someone, and I love that person's honesty. This was back in school. He had this babe, and he said he cannot, he doesn't shake his babe on her hand. And sadly, she's someone that I love language is touch, but he doesn't shake her because just touch. He said, "This is how he described." He said her touch is electric. Hey, I said, "No, God went." But he knew. He said, "He said he doesn't." You know, oh, God went, no, no, God, God has answered the question, you know, but back then I was like, God went. And this guy's handshake, you know, he said he can't touch her hand for long because his mind will go places. And that was very honest. He said, talk less of, front. I cannot even do front hug. Now one is in Noah because she's, God blessed her with um, stuff. Uh, and he, he can't hug her that way. He, he has to do, oh, hi, and that's it. And he was honest. Even me, at the time, I couldn't take, there was a time I couldn't take front, front hugs from any lady. And I was honest, I'll tell you, I'll just, I'll just even help you, direct you. Hey, how are you? You know? Ah, thank God, God worked on my heart, right? Some of you cannot handle kissing. Don't try it. And, and people ask this question needlessly, and it's a good question. But everybody, is it a sin to kiss? Is kissing a sin in a relationship? And, and the simple answer to that is, is no, but yes. <laughs> In itself, is not a sin, but it can be. And I love that the apostles, when they, when they talk about kissing, they, they qualify it. They greet the brethren with a holy kiss. That means there's a kiss that is unholy. There's a kiss that has the wrong intentions and is driven by lust rather than love. And that's where, that's where your answer is. Is kissing in relation. If you know you cannot handle it, you have no business doing it. If you know as you're, as you're kissing, you know your hands will find work to do. Your, your body, <laughs> you will react. Just don't do it. Be wise. 
Be honest about what you can and what you cannot handle, right? Praise the name of Jesus. Number four, let your boundary be sustainable. Let your boundary be sustainable. Is this something that you'll be able to adhere to no matter what? Right? You know, there's one rule that I, I just, I didn't know this is what it was called until I, I came across it. I, apparently, I've been practicing it for the longest time. There's something called Modesto Manifesto. I don't know how many of you have heard of it before. It is also known as the Billy Graham Rule. And the Billy Graham rule is one thing that sets him and his ministry apart, and those of his counterparts, that in their ministry, there was no record of financial sexual scandal at all. Google it. Not one. Even if there was slander or there were rumors, it, it, it always fell through the cracks. It was never validated. And what the Billy Graham rule and Modesto Manifesto is, is simply this, that it simply means it's a rule of code amongst the men especially in which they avoid spending time alone with women that they are not married to. Of course, there are exceptions in cases where they had sisters and there was just no possible, you understand what I mean, but like with women that are not family and are not, you're not married to, to be in the same room with such a person alone, no, no. Do you realize that Billy Graham was invited by back then, the Senator Hillary Clinton, for a private dinner, and he declined. Why? Because it was only going to be him and her. He declined the Senator. <laughs> Someone who you could easily have said, you know what, for the sake of the gospel, let me build this relationship, let me use this as a, you know, some of us, we rationalize, you know, foolishness. And we say, you know, this can help the, if, if you have decided that this is what I want for my life, to help me be sexually pure, stick to it. Stick to it. Right? And this is something that I, I've personally done myself. I, if, if I'm going to be alone with a person, it has to be in the public space or my wife must be present. Right? And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that you need to now adopt it, but in, in, at the end of the day, I'd rather... Some people will say this is extra. We people are just too extra. But I'd rather you you err on the part of being excessively cautious than being reckless. I'd rather you do that. That there is no stain on your name, there is no stain to your reputation, stain to the, to the glory of God on your life. Because people see, think that blasphemy is when you say God, you know, and you mention, you, know, you drag God's name in the mud. By your lifestyle and actions, dear ambassador of Christ, dear image of God, imago Dei, if you live a life that is stained and tarnished, it's, a, it's blasphemy against God, literally. It's a drag. Because literally, when you act that way, people will start saying, and you, and you claim to be. Have you heard that? You claim to serve God. You claim to be a Christian. What kind of God is that? Because people expect that you represent the things of God. So make it a sustainable boundary, something that you can keep and can keep you. Number four. Number one is what? Set sexual goals. Number two is be accountable. Right? On, to those goals. Number four is what? Number three, sorry. Is build formidable boundaries. Number four, build devotion. Build devotion. Build devotion. You cannot throw away those desires God gave you. You can't shut them down. 
But one thing you can do is you can temper them, you can train them, and you can tame them. You can tame those desires. And how that happens is in a time of devotion. What you do is you replace these desires by a strong, an even stronger desire. Desire for fellowship, to be intimate with your lover, the, the lover of your soul, to be intimate with God. To, to, when you build devotion, it, it, you are filled with the Spirit of God. You know, it says, be not drunk with wine, we're in the next above, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are conscious of God. You are feeding your spirit, not your flesh. You've seen what Paul said, the works of the flesh are these and these. And when you starve with those works of the flesh and feed your spirit, guess what? Your spirit gets stronger and saves you on the day of trouble. So when you build devotion, this is what happens. Pray, study the Bible, fast, sharpen your spiritual edge. Sharpen it when it starts to get blunt and you've watched too much TV, you've been exposed to so much nudity on social media, your mind is blunt, your conscience is getting hardened, go on it fast. Sharpen that edge again. Pray long, pray hard. Do you realize that in ancient times, there were gods that these people worshipped. And, and an example is in Numbers, I think, 25, when the Israelites were mingling with the daughters of Moab, there were certain gods that required them to have sexual immorality. And, and Paul talked about this, how in one day 23,000 of them perished because of this. They, they, they were sleeping with each other as an act of worship to those Moabite gods. So sex in itself can be a form of worship to a god, and it is. But it should be a form of worship to the God who gave us that gift in the first place. That we can honor him in our life. Honor him with our bodies. That my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And only another temple of the Holy Ghost that I've been joined with in the sight of God and men will I be able to, 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 to fully give myself to. In devotion, you build these convictions. In devotion, you remind yourself, I don't feel like it right now. And Konji is being wicked and ruthless. But God, I am your temple. God, I am filled with your spirit. I have dropped the old life. The old man is not me anymore. No more concupiscence. No more fornication. No more adultery. This is me. I live in purity towards the Lord. I live in honor towards the Lord. I live in holiness before God. And I remind you again, and this is something I'll just say to, to remind us. Sexual purity is not the same as virginity. Can I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> Somehow, it, I mean, it, it can be implied, but it's not the same. There are people who are virgins, and they've done every other thing that even people who are not virgins are not doing. And at the end of the day, there's, there's still that great debate. What is the definition of virginity? If you say virginity is the breaking of a hymen, are we still having real talk? I hope so. This is real talk. The breaking of the hymen, how does that apply to men? <laughs> right? What, is, what, is, what do you define as, the, as virginity? And that's why God is not just asking, just like he's not just saying, don't murder a person. He's saying, don't even... Think murderous, hateful, spiteful thoughts about that person. The very base minimum, the source of it all. Don't even stay there. So it's not about, oh, I just want to keep myself as a... No, don't, don't even be sexually impure, is the point. Don't be sexually impure. 
But it's in the place of devotion you build these convictions. You build the strength for a rainy day. Right? The Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us to watch and pray. I'll talk about this some more. So number four is what? Build devotion. Number five, receive grace. And I'll just talk about this quickly. Receive grace. This is how you handle temptations. You've now, you've, you've seen that the first parts are proactive things that you should do. God has done and he's asking you to do. And you will. And these are proactive, wise things that you must put in place. But here's the thing. In building devotion, what you're exposing yourself to is receiving God's grace. And, and, and it's something to do consciously. It's not just something to lead to chance. You ask for it. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly. The approach to God's throne is a bold one, right? You come boldly, not afraid, not in guilt, not in shame. You come boldly. His Father, even as He's Lord. That we may what? Obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When Konji is, is injuring you, is a time of need. You need grace. It's real. It's tangible. It's tangible. Look at Romans 6, verse, verse 12 to 14. It says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it, it in its loss, right? Verse 13, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness. Now look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Can you say this? Sin will not have dominion over me. Because I am not under the law or the condemnation of the law, but I am under God's grace. Hallelujah. So you can live above the dominion of sin because you are what? You are under grace. You are under grace. Grace is a tangible force to propel you to live above sin. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. Paul is speaking. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He had talked about how he was a terrible person persecuting the church. Verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all of them, than they all, the apostles, the disciples, those who witnessed Jesus. But yet not I, but what? The grace of God which was with me. He, he said, this grace is such a tangible force that produced tangible results. I was able to do this because there was grace. And any time you're able to overcome a temptation and rise above, just remember it was grace. It was grace. You've put the boundaries, you've set the goals, but it's grace. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I want to read this as an encouragement to you. Still in line of grace. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Look, this is not new. Like, people have experienced this. But it says, God is faithful. Hallelujah. Say, God is faithful. And he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability. Look, this thing, when I read it, what it tells me is this. That at, like, there's no temptation that you give into that you cannot actually overcome. Every temptation is, is never going to be, be, your, be beyond your ability to overcome. That's what it's saying. You, you, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hallelujah. God is faithful. God is faithful. So receive grace. 
when you come boldly to God, ask for grace. Hallelujah. And number six, the last point is control your environment. Control your environment. And what I'll, I'll, I'll give you a biblical uh, example for you to adopt that would help you control your environment. Praise the name of Jesus. Number one, when it comes to sexual temptation, how do you control your environment? Number one, flee. <laughs> Run. 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 Jalo. Flee. And, and what flee means is not just control your environment, but leave the environment. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. It says this. 1 Corinthians 6, 8, 6 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexually immoral person sins against his own body. I wish I had time to talk about that part. But he doesn't say, take some time, you know. Ah, the country is hitting you. Just, okay, just stand up for a while and speak in other tongues. Glory to God. Rabatana, you, you know, just pray in the spirit. God is faithful. He keeps you strong. And the movie where they are kissing and, and having sex is still playing. You're watching it and you're praying. Lord, help me. Deliver me from this thing I'm watching. God, help me. You're around the person that is influencing you. Maybe there's somebody that you've been having feelings for, but now these feelings are going to graduate and you are still there in the, with the... Ah. Imagine if Joe Boy, you know Joe Boy, imagine if Potiphar's wife was touching him. Joe Boy, uh-uh. Come, let's make some music together. Let's, and he's like, oh, I'm tired. Stop, Joe. Oh, leave me alone. God, help me with this woman. Oh, God. You are in trouble. You are a goner. But Joseph was wise. I will not do this and commit this sin. Not against Potiphar. Against God. And this guy left, ran away. He literally carried himself and ran. And maybe I'm old school, but I took this thing seriously. There are literally times where I'm maybe on my phone and something just comes up. And I throw my phone away to a safe place, of course. Throw it, and then I just move. I might not run like hell task, but I just move. I just move away, leave the house, pray for a while. And this is what I do. When I, I see that, and that, those thoughts are coming like, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I will not give in to this temptation because I'm not a slave of sin. I am a slave of righteousness. I modify my flesh, and I give room for, the, for, for your spirit to take control. In the name of Jesus, I will go back in. I will turn off that phone. I will go to sleep. When I come back, uh, wake up from sleep. I am good to go. I am strong. That's what I do. Done it a lot of times. I put off the phone. I sleep. I wake up. I'm good. You need to be intentional. You need to be. People will say your own is too much. That's when you know you are doing it well. You every time sexual purity. Every time I'm not doing. Every that's what that's what that God is looking at you and saying yes, my daughter, my son, yes, yes, standing for righteousness. To, to know that, that sexual immorality is not named amongst you as saints of God. That's what God expects. So you flee. That's how you control your environment. Number two, you watch and pray. You watch and pray. You know, in Matthew 26, 41, where Jesus tells his disciples, watch and pray, lest you enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, when he tells them that, you realize that because they didn't watch and pray, they actually fell into the temptation to abandon him, to deny him, 
And many times we just look at Peter. At least Peter was around to deny. Every other person went. All of them ran away for their lives. That was a temptation. But many times we emphasize, when we say watch and pray, we emphasize the pray part. But we don't talk about the watch. Watch there means to be vigilant, to be discerning, to be sober-minded, to be watchful, to anticipate that this could be a trigger and I will avoid it and instead pray. To know that, look, there will be people who will come and question my loyalty and followership to Jesus. And it's a possibility that I will will deny him to be watchful about those things. And because they didn't do this, you know, a man like Peter is, is denying Jesus three times. Watch and pray. This is how you control your environment. Watch. Be watchful. Be watchful. Not everything that seems innocent is innocent. Be watchful. It's an agenda that the world is propagating. Be watchful. Number three, defend with the armor of God. I wish I had time. Read Ephesians chapter 6, I think from verse <coughs> from verse 12, there are about to rest not against flesh and blood to verse 19. To realize that there's more to, that meets the eye in this fight. Defend with the whole armor of God. Number four, and final points for controlling your environment. One way to control your environment is this. Marry. <laughs> End your singleness and listen to the bodily signals you are getting. It got, I knew, one, one way I knew, the primary way I knew I was ready for marriage was because the Lord told me that I was. I prayed. I remember I prayed about it and I just had a green light and an uncontrollable passion to, to settle down. I did. But another way I knew is because this Konji said, I will not let you go. You, you and me, I will finish you here. Konji spoke to me, sat me down. I will finish you. I said, God, I hear you. <laughs> Sometimes your body is just telling you, look, see. Oh boy, it's time. It's time. Finish and do. You know, and Paul understood this was a possibility. In 1 Corinthians 7, this is what he said. He says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, look at that, because there's a temptation to be sexually immoral, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Look at that. If I would translate in modern language, if you burn with passion, fulfill the passion in marriage. Simply get married. Your body is telling you, and emotionally you're ready. There's someone in view Rather than you even having to one moment, one day, fall short, compromise, fall into sexual sin, God is saying, I, Paul, through, 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 inspired by God, is saying, look, I'd rather you actually get married, even if this is not your perfect, I know we've talked about it, you need to wait for the perfect man, perfect woman, you've done your assessment, you've identified all the rest. If, if it means marrying this person so that you don't fall into sexual immorality, marry. That's what Paul is saying, marry. You will not die. There's no marriage in heaven, but for now, let this be a safety. I know it sounds, it's unpopular, but please, to control your environment, get married. Get married. I want to leave you with this, and I'll reiterate some things I've said. 100% victory and freedom is possible. You might have lived a life unworthy of the gospel. You might have lived a life 
of, of promiscuity and sexual sin, but that can end today. God can give you fresh grace to start again. That is the beauty of the new life. It's not condemnation. It's not kicking you while you're down. It's get up and keep moving. Get up and keep running. This run of holiness and sexual purity, you can do it. You can do it. I'm talking to you. You can. You can do it. You can live a life pleasing to the Lord. You can live a life of sexual purity and help others live that kind of life. By your example, by your words, by the word of God. It is possible. I want to encourage you. You are not beyond kanji, but kanji is God's beautiful gift. And it's, it's to be expressed, but in the right confines. You're going to pray right now with me. And this is what I want you to do. You might not have seen this coming. If you know, and I'm saying this with all grace, all the grace I can muster. If you know that you have been wrong, you've been in error. You have sinned sexually. You've gone against God's design for sex. You've watched porn. You've watched masturbation. Uh, no, that was wrong. You've watched porn. <laughs> you what? Maybe you have watched. Let me let me not justify myself. You've watched porn. You've practiced masturbation. You've slept with multiple partners, and you are probably even planning another one. I want to ask you to do one thing. I am going to ask you to repent. Before God today now. Go before God. We live in an era of grace that we so emphasize, oh, nothing do me. I shake it off, move on. That's not the lifestyle of a Christian, a true Christian. I want you to come to God with godly sorrow. God, I repent. God, I am sorry. I am sorry that I have wronged you. I am sorry that I have gone against your plan and order for my sexual life and my life in general. I am sorry that I, 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 I went according to the course of the world. I am sorry. I am sorry that I did not honor this body, honor this temple. I did not realize how sacred your presence was. I, I sinned even in the sacred presence of you. God, I am sorry. Can you pray right now in true repentance? For some of you, it's the impurity, the impure thoughts you've harbored. You just stay by yourself and think those terrible thoughts, those graphic thoughts. Repent from them. Repent from them. Repent from them. Repent from them. Lord, I am sorry. Have mercy on me. I am sorry. I am sorry. I ought to be as sin-hating as you are, but I've accommodated this sin so long. I am sorry. I repent today. I repent today. Come on, pray. I'll give you a few seconds. Mean it from the genuineness and sincerity of your heart. Repent. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Oh, this is the Lord. This is the gateway through which the Lord will call you back and embrace you. Repent. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Ah, many people are getting free today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There is freedom for everyone. Hallelujah. The second thing I want you to pray about is this. Mean it as, as sincerely as you can. Lord, in areas where my conscience has been numb, in areas where I've been comfortable in sin, places where it, it doesn't move me anymore doing these things, I'm comfortable, I do it like, like it means nothing. God, pull me out of that. Lord, create in me an, a, a deeper sensitivity in my conscience. 
Let me listen to your spirit and not quench your spirit. Pray right now. Lord, deliver me from desensitization. Create in me. Let my conscience be awake again. Let my conscience be awake again. Oh, Lord, let my conscience be awake again. I'm tired of being numb to sin. I'm tired of being comfortable in sin. That's not me. I can't be comfortable in the thing that you saved me from, that you invested your life to save me from. I cannot be comfortable in this sin, not anymore. Deliver me, oh God. When you cry out to the Lord, he delivers you in distress. Psalm 107 tells us, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. You've been imprisoned by this cage. You've been sick for so long. Lord, heal me. Lord, break me free. Break the chains. Oh, God, break the chains in the name of Jesus. Let my conscience come alive. Let my conscience come alive. That God-given moral compass that I have, let it come back to life. Let my, my discernment be sensitive again in the name of Jesus. Let me be grieved at sin again. Let me have godly sorrow for sin again in the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. That's it. That's it. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we've prayed. One last thing. We talked about receiving grace. We're going to pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, help me. To live this life of victory. I receive grace to labor more abundantly in this work of sexual purity. Pray that in the name of Jesus. Pray that in the name of Jesus. I receive grace. I come boldly to your throne of grace. That I may find mercy and obtain grace to help in time of need. Lord, this is my time of need. I will need it every day. So I need your grace every day. I need your grace to empower me. Because it is you who works in me, both to desire, both to do of your good pleasure. So I receive grace. I receive grace. This is the difference between yesterday and forever. Lord, grace. Grace makes all the difference. Grace transforms. Grace empowers. Grace changes things. Ah, Lord, let your grace come upon me. Ah, let your grace come afresh upon me. I walk and charge into a life full of grace, full of power, full of victory, full of righteousness, full of holiness. All the days of my life, in the name of Jesus, so call Hey, grace, that's it, that's it. Unctions of grace, I see it. I see it coming upon three people now. Grace, unctions of grace. Let it be. Thank you, Jesus. Let it be. Kato, lutu, brashe. Set them free, O oh God. Ah, set them free, O oh God. In the name of Jesus. Sala kabinde frakte supuno elepalikia frakte shokata. Unctions of grace. Unctions of grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we are grateful. Thank you for these ones who are honest, who are here saying, Lord, I need help. I can't do it on my own. The world has made me comfortable in this thing. I don't see the wrong anymore, but I'm grieved now. I'm grieved in my heart. I see your truth. My, my heart has been awakened to it. Help me to live according to your truth. Help me not to live according to pop culture. I won't live according to what my friends are living by. I will not live according to popular opinion. I live according to your word from this day henceforth. 
in the name of Jesus. Lord, I will be a light in this dark world, a beacon of hope in the name of Jesus for those struggling with sexual impurity. I will be the poster child for sexual purity all the days of my life. I hope you pray that prayer with me. You will be a poster child for sexual purity in this generation in the name of Jesus. You'll be the possibility that people need to see in the name of Jesus. And I pray that in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.